Hello and welcome to the next episode of the review show presented by Real. My name is Phil. My name is Corey. And today we're going to be talking about um, a whole host of new films that have come out recently. I think we got some mixed feelings about some of them, but there's definitely some stuff in there that we really like. I think the best place to start will probably be Cruella, because not just because it's like made quite a lot of money and it's been really successful and stuff like that, but I think also because it's been in the news uh i think after you know our last episode we talked about black widow a lot of people were talking about um you know scar joe suing disney and marvel over the simultaneous release in cinema and on disney plus and there was a lot of people talking about whether emma stone might do the same thing for corella uh but she just signed for the second film so i don't think she's going to be suing them anytime soon yeah i don't <laughs> um but yeah, this is the uh, film directed by Craig Gillespie. Is that right? Gillespie. Gillespie. I fucking know. Craig Gillespie. Um, and the backstory of uh, Cruella de Vil. You know, the, the famous Cruella. Disney... <laughs> the famous Disney villain. Um, as mentioned, you know, Emma Stone plays uh, Estella slash Cruella, you know, this split personality and story of how she comes to fame. And it starts off, you know, with this very bizarre, in my opinion, opening sequence or like like the little backstory about what happens to her mother and why she ends up in London. Um, so what, what were your initial thoughts? What, what did you feel when you came out of it? Did you like it? Uh... I don't think like is the word I'd use. <laughs> I, I was a little confused about it, really. I mean, some stuff I liked. I quite liked the almost like Devil Wears Prada attachment to uh, like fashion and stuff like that. I thought the music was great, but that's, you know, the time it's set, really. But to me, the biggest issue was it, it just didn't feel like a Corella Deville film. I mean, like, yeah. I know there's you know, some Dalmatians and um, I don't know. It's just, it didn't feel like it was attached to Cruella de Vil other than the fact that Emma Stone has black and white hair. That is pretty <laughs> much the attachment I had really. I tell you what, I know what you mean. I think because of that, it does never feel like it really justifies the reason in telling a Cruella, uh, you know, backstory. Like why did we need an origin story for Cruella? is the first thing I thought when I heard the movie was announced. And I don't think this film ever justifies it. I think, as you said, I think there are things to like about it. I think, you know, before we complain about it too much, something I really loved about it is I thought it had a super strong uh, visual style. Like the aesthetic, I think, was absolutely spot on. Yeah. And I think tonally it knew what it was doing for most of the film. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things to like there. Outside of that, I think the performances are great. You know, I really liked Emma Stone, but more importantly, I think Emma Thompson as the Baroness, you know, this um, person that Emma Stone idols and, you know, gets that. That's where you get your Devil West Prada um, sort of relationship from, isn't it? You've got this evil boss that's sort of leading this fashion brand. Um, and I just think that uh, Emma Thompson is just like absolutely reveling in every line she possibly has. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've had lots of comparisons, or a lot, lots of people bring up that uh, sandwich delivery line when she's telling Estella what she wants yeah. as a sandwich. Yeah. And it's just that those sorts of moments, I think, are just absolutely spot on. But again, it, it's not a Cruella film, is it? Here's you know, the thing it's... like, 
when it comes to these modern Disney films, there's I don't know how to put this. Like, there's no reason for them, is there? They're just capitalizing mm. on previous success, which is always annoying. But I will always watch them because you're hoping that the individuals involved will kind of make it their own. And Cruella feels like it almost com- com- like comes very close. It, like you said, it's tonally sound. Craig Gillespie is very good at that with his films. Um, Emma Thompson is fantastic. Emma Stone is fantastic. Both having such a great time. And even uh, Joel Fry and... Um, uh, Paul, Paul Walter, Walter Hauser, Hauser. you know, Jasper and Hauser, yeah, yeah. Jasper and I mean, Boris, aren't they? Paul Walter Hauser's accent is woeful, but yeah, I that's like that's like Dick Van Dyke in Mary Poppins level of bad. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> yeah, I think that's an unfair comparison to Dick Van Dyke though, because I think Dick Van Dyke is still good in that film. Whereas I don't yeah. know if I like Paul Walter Hauser in this film. I think no, I he's a good know. actor. He's he's a funny actor yes. and he can be a very serious actor. But I don't know. It just seems there's a lot of other people that could have played this role. <laughs> yeah, uh, but Joel Fry is like he's. I think he's actually becoming you know like a British comedy national treasure. Really, like he's mm-hmm. slowly making his way into all these films, and he is a, such a funny actor. But like you said, yeah, Emma Thompson is so great. But and I think we, you know, we briefly talked about it before, like before we started recording, is that the story just doesn't make loads of sense. It you really know? annoys me. The story really annoys me because there's so many points in it. You're right. It doesn't make half of it doesn't make any sense. But also for me, there's just so many ludicrous plot points. Yeah. So like one of them is I can't remember exactly which show it is because there's a lot of points that feel like they're doing the same thing as well in the middle of the film where Estella is um, brown nosing the Baroness and then Cruella is ruining a show of the Baroness and it's like almost like a extended montage yeah but it for me I don't know if it felt like it needed to be that long I feel like you should have just had clips from each one because each uh like little snippet did exactly the same thing as the last and I was like I don't really know what we're gaining from this you just know that you know that Cruella's getting famous and she's ruining the Baroness's shows. But there's like a multiple of those. Like, for example, there's one, I can't remember which show it is, but they come out of the show and they've set up this like catwalk and they've got like this punk band playing and Cruella like comes out. And it's like, how the fuck would any of this happen? Like, how would they set this up outside? It's like right in the middle of London. How would they set this up outside of the show? No one know. And then almost everyone escape. I know the point in that one was for... Um, uh, Jasper and Horace to get caught but like the whole thing is just so ludicrous like how everything happens is just like like you know spoiler alert at the start of the film um, uh, Estella's mum gets killed by the Baroness by the Baroness's dogs like leaping on her and pushing off the side of the cliff and, it and it's just makes sense at all it, it's, it's so stupid. bizarre it, it, and then it and then it goes on to be like this sort of punk infused, um, you know, rebellious fashion film fighting authority, and it's just like, why why have her mum die in that way? I just feel like this lots of things that happen that don't really make sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's just although, as I say, although visually and tonally, I think it really works. I think narratively, it's super disjointed and just all over the place. Yeah, I would agree. And also, it's really too long. Like, it's, what, two oh, hours yeah. and two hours, ten minutes, two hours, fifteen minutes, which for a Disney film is just absurd. It's just absurd. Yeah. It just, I don't know how it even got to that runtime. Uh, and like you said, there's just so many things in it that either don't need to be there or just don't make sense. 
Yeah. And while like I re- I like Craig Gillespie, and I feel like everyone involved is trying to really stamp this tone, this playful tone on it. And it's great. It just it's a complete miss for me a, a bit. I just yeah. felt like you're meant to be having so much fun watching this, and while there are parts mm. that are quite fun. It just by the end, I was exhausted. I was like, please just stop. <laughs> I think that's pretty much spot on. What did you give this film out of five then? Shall we do our ratings out of five? What did you give it? A two. Um, and while, you know, like I said, I love the music. Uh, I think tonally it's great. <clears throat> Emma Stone is fantastic. Emma Thompson is a national treasure. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's a two star for me. Yeah, understandable. That's what I give it as well. All right, should we, um, should we move on to something a bit more cheery then? Uh, suicide yep. Squad, or is is this one the Suicide it's Squad? The, the Suicide Squad. Yes, which was directed by um, obviously James Gunn. Um, this one didn't do quite as successful. I looked it up beforehand because I knew that um, box office wise, it wasn't supposed to have been a massive success. So I looked oh, right. it up. Its bo- its um, budget was 185 million, and it made mm. 163 million. Oh, not at the box office. No, and I mean the general rule of thumb, especially for big films, is is you roughly double the budget, and that's how much they spent on everything, like marketing and everything like that. Yeah. So this has been a... I hate to use the word flop, but I think it has been a pretty big flop financially. However, critically, I think it's got 91% on Rotten Tomatoes. Something yeah. like that. And I think it's done a lot better. I mean, infinitely better than the first Suicide Squad. Because uh, this is, I think, one of the reasons why potentially it didn't uh, hit, you know, obviously the, the COVID pandemic is going to be a big reason why this wasn't a financial success. But I think another reason is the marketing has been bizarre for the name specifically. Right. Like a lot of people were confused. I think, was this a sequel? Was it a reboot? You know, it, you didn't really know. Obviously, for people like us, we knew, but are the general audience going to know that this is... Uh, a sequel but it's cutting ties to the original one in a lot of places you know after the film starts you get that but that's not a particularly successful way to market the film i think yeah but i well, mean those those are just my thoughts on that well the but... thing the thing about you know superhero movies and stuff i mean there's no rule that says you can't just make another suicide squad film and it's things like obviously they're making a batman film aren't they robert patterson's playing batman yeah but then they've got the dceu and while i don't particularly care whether it's canon or what uh there are people out there who do care so mm-hmm. it can become quite chaotic and dc have been really bad at that um marvel have always been really good at just keeping their story straight i know there's been like spider-man movies for sony blah 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 blah, blah. but if you're a comic book fan it can get a bit confusing um yeah but so totally. that's probably maybe why it just got a bit all like lost in the shuffle of the marketing i don't know Maybe, but on the on the plus side, I do actually think I really enjoyed this film. I mean, as I say, the first one is probably one of the worst films I've ever watched, at least in terms of like one that is big and out there and everyone knows. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I've definitely. seen some awful films that no one's heard of, but most people have heard of the first Suicide Squad, and it was just pure and utter garbage. You could tell all the way through of the production chaos. You know, as an editor, I um, I noticed the editing more like the final cut was given to a trailer editor and i just felt like you can tell that especially the first sort of 15 minutes or so it just feels like a really fucking long trailer introducing everyone and i just yeah but 
I mean, we, let, let's not dwell on the first Suicide Squad too much because I really enjoyed this one. I say it's James Gunn, who people know from the Guardians of the Galaxy films, and he's done tons of other stuff as well. But I think one of the reasons why potentially he was given such a large budget and he was trusted to do this film is because he could pull a comic-like Guardians of the Galaxy, which I haven't read, but in concept yeah. doesn't sound very good. And I've heard the comics aren't nearly up to the standard that other marvel comics are and if he can make something that good out of it you know i can understand why they think he would you know do something good with suicide squad and i think he did i think he's done a really great job with it um yeah what did I, i've just rambled a bit there about it what do what do you think of suicide squad so i liked it and it's certainly better than suicide squad and i know it's kind of i think every single review you will ever read says this is the suicide squad and it's like <laughs> okay um and the re- look, I like James Gunn. I think he's a fantastic director, and he's especially great with blockbusters because what he does is he has enough personality to make a blockbuster his own. He did it with the Guardians. He gave them a lot of individuality in the like a big franchise, and it makes sense that they picked him. He's very good at keeping within the confines of a blockbuster, but also you know trying new things, and that's what I liked about the Suicide Squad. I did have a, a few issues with it. I. St- I, you know, I'm gonna sound like such a like grouch, but like it's just it the beginning especially, and I get it, like shock factor, maybe it works. It's just unnecessarily violent. Like yeah. and like if you watch maybe like Tarantino or you know, watch some of these like extreme Japanese movies, that that's their point. They want to be extreme, they want to have this violence, stylish violence, but some of the violence in this movie just felt just super unnecessary. Like you can have the start, which, you know, I won't spoil anything, but plenty of people get hurt. Uh, <laughs> um, but like, you know, someone's face gets blown off and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I don't care about seeing that. It just didn't, I don't know. I, I just would, couldn't register for me like throughout the entire film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but no, like I said, I won't, you know, grill on it too much i did like some of it um you know whole new cast with you know the exception of a few margot robbie returns as harley quinn who was the best thing about the original suicide squad absolutely Um, and you also have viola davis coming back as uh walker you know the person who runs yeah and also um i do not remember the actor's name who plays uh rick uh, Rick Grimes, no, Joel Rick Grimes is from <laughs> Rick Grimes. Rick Grimes is from Walking Dead. <laughs> I'd be pretty impressed if Rick Grimes turned up in Suicide Squad. No, What's he's, his character's um, name? Rick Flag, Colonel Rick. Rick Flag. Flag, that's it. Yeah. So Under Joel Kinnaman. What I actually liked in this movie was that they made Rick Flag a character that I cared about. Yeah. In the last, in the in the first one, uh, he's just he's so by the numbers. Just who cares? But in this one, that scene. A bit like uh, near the end of the film with him in it, it's just make me care about this character, which I wasn't expecting. And I really like that. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the film, like I was saying about James Gunn, you know, he takes these chances but can also stay within the confines. Having a giant pink starfish, like the size of a skyscraper, as the main villain, is just it's just great. It's so funny. Yeah, I think I think that's that's the sort of like. I think one of the reasons why this will this is better than the first one is because the first one 
you know, we were talking about Corella, where it has like the aesthetic and tone nailed, and I think Suicide Squad has the aesthetic and tone nailed. Whereas in the first one, they didn't. You know, they no, tried they to do all this comic booky, cartoony stuff, and it was just all over the place and didn't work. Whereas in this one, I think that's all coherent. Like James Gunn has Definitely. a much stronger vision. I think the first one lacked that strong vision, not by any fault of the director whose name is escaping me, but um, because um, you know, there, there's there's the whole uh, uh, you know, there's the whole is it David story. Ayer? Yeah, David, it was David A. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, there's there's tons of interviews with him claiming, I mean, there's one interview where he says something along the lines of, there's no fucking pop music in my version of Suicide Squad. Yeah. Something like that. You know, there's you, you don't know what's true and what's not. But anyway, it, I, I think this one has a much stronger vision. There was less getting involved from the studio, which I think is the issue with the first one. But no, I really, I, yeah, I think, I think you're right too. And yeah, I think having a villain that ridiculous is not always easy to nail. Again, like we were talking about with Guardians, having, you know, the, a big premise of Guardians is a talking raccoon, yeah. um, you know, and a sentient tree being really good friends, you know. Yeah. But he makes that stuff work. He makes the ridiculous fun. And it, not it doesn't have to be believable. It just has to work within the confines of the film. And I think it really does. I actually think one of the weakest points, although I agree with you that, the violence is um, is very gratuitous, especially at the start. I think the film uh, struggles from uh, too long of a runtime. Right. I feel. Yeah. I feel like. I mean, it comes in. At, I think it's two twenty one or something like that. Maybe even two ten. But I feel like you could shave half an hour off of it quite easily. You know, there's just bits in the middle where it drags a bit, and then the ending. I think the ending feels like there's a there's the bit where they attack the tower which the giant starfish is encased yeah. in under the facility and just that whole that whole se- well not even just sequence but that whole sort of that piece is just just feels so long to me there's that bit Definitely. where i don't want to you know uh spoil too much of the plot but there's a bit where they're basically turning their back on the situation and then decide to you know get back involved i think that bit although it's good and i think it makes sense in the story and it's a nice lovely arc for everyone involved i just feel like at that point i was like oh come on we've still got like another 20 minutes after this of yeah it just all feels like that whole piece at the end just feels a bit overly long to me but i mean overall i still liked it and i still had a lot of fun and i'll probably watch it again at some point i just think it's infinitely better than the first one and it's a shame it hasn't made its money but i I think i've said this to you outside of this podcast i don't think box office is is necessarily the way we can gauge how successful a film is necessarily anymore or at least not the only way you know if you go back 10 maybe not even 10 years but at least 10 years it was a big part it was the the defining part on whether or not a film was going to be successful but i think with how streaming has come in along and how much money they're willing to put into films on a streaming service um i wouldn't be surprised if this film ended up it might it might not become like a huge financial success but enough to you know maybe warrant another one from james gunn but we'll see we'll see well, let, I mean, let's talk about the characters briefly, because I know there's obviously yes. a revamped cast. So, you know, Idris Elba is now leading this as uh, Bloodsport, is that his yep. comic name? And then, you know, John Cena's with him as Peacemaker, obviously Return of Margot Robbie, um, uh, just a, and a few other characters that are just very barbaric. Obviously, Gunn is true to comics, you know, I think is it the Polka Dot Man is in it. 
who I yeah, know yeah, yeah. James Gunn has been said that he just basically wanted to he wanted to grab the worst comic book character of all time. <laughs> um, very bizarre. Oh, and of course, there's the giant shark, which Sylvester. Yeah, I was going to say plays. King Shark. It kind of re- reminds. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds you of when they were first casting Guardians, doesn't it? Yeah, and everyone was like, "Bradley Cooper is a raccoon, and Vin <laughs> Diesel was a talking tree." What the fuck? <laughs> and it's a similar thing. And actually, Sylvester Stone as the shark actually um, is like my favorite part of the whole thing. Oh, he definitely is the best part of the whole film. The whole that whole bit in the middle. I, I, again, this is one of the sequences I think is a bit overly long. But when he's talking about the camouflage, he's <laughs> yeah. like fake mustache and puts his finger <laughs> over. He's like fake mustache. It's it's just so funny, and I think. Yeah, no, he's he's my favourite part. At least. What was your opinion on John Cena's performance? Because obviously John Cena now is, because, I mean, he has been for a couple of years and he's making his waves to be, I mean, if he keeps going at this rate, he's going to be as big as uh, The Rock. So yeah. it's, I know I know it's, it feels a bit harsh comparing the two just because they were wrestlers, but you yeah. know, they both had the same, a similar path. So I was intrigued yeah. to know what you thought of his performance. I really liked it. It's one of my favourite Cena performances personally because... I, um, when he first started acting, he was very serious in these serious action films and stuff, but they were all just a bit shit. Yeah, they, <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot of the were. stuff he did was just a bit crap. And I feel like there's an element of that in this where he and Gunn knew the kind of early acting career Cena had, and they're taking those sorts of elements and just completely satirizing them in yeah. peacemaker obviously peacemaker is a pre-existing character but i think it's just perfect casting that he is just fucking absolutely stone dead you know there's there's he doesn't i don't remember hearing him laugh once he barely smiles he's just as serious as it gets but it's really funny i mean there's that moment unfortunately you know what i think unfortunately so many, so many of the really funny moments are spoiled in trailers. And while I tried to yeah. avoid trailers, it's not impossible to. There's that bit um, where he shoots over his shoulder and the guy gets hit and then Idris Elba says something like, you didn't even kill him, it was non-lethal. And then like John Cena says something about them being like expanding. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's like yeah. expanding bullets. But he says it in this way where he's just like... Uh, expanding bullets, they're dope as fuck. And then Idris Elba turns away and he's like, Fuck, they are dope. <laughs> it's just like that sort of stuff. I think is really funny, and yeah, I lo- I personally loved Cena's performance. I thought he was really funny in this. I I haven't been sold on Cena yet, and I think I I have been now. And I think you're right. It's kind of so obviously when he started, he was making these crap action films, and then all of a sudden he transitioned, and he was fu- he has been in funny films. Like I think he's fantastic in Blockers. Um, I just wasn't sold on him fully, but I think this one is and this again this is why i compare him to the rock is that the rock or dwayne johnson started in these crap action films but then when you realize when someone has such charisma and personality it's important to let that shine and that's basically what dwayne johnson does now and i'm really hoping now john cena will begin to do that because he's a really funny guy um yeah and he's both funny and you know his build you know, he's obviously fucking huge. <laughs> you know, well, it's believable would... when he has those serious moments where he just beats the fuck out of someone. So yeah. that's why I, I do like him in this. I think he's very good. Um, and I think also Idris Elba, I think, I think I've think i missed leading man Hollywood Idris Elba a bit. Mm. Uh, you know, he had that stage where he was in quite a few Hollywood blockbusters and he's always been in and around that. But I think I kind of miss him. He's a very charismatic actor and he's a fantastic um, performer. 
Yeah, I think I totally agree. I I do feel like I've missed uh, watching Idris Elba a little bit because he's. I just feel like a lot of the stuff. I don't know if I've just seen the stuff that he, that, he, that he's in that is crap. But I feel like I've seen him in a lot of crap in the last few years, and it's just nice to watch him have fun in a film and enjoy the film that he's in as well. Because he did the um, what was the Stephen King adaptation? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, that's the one, Dark Tower. With Matthew McConaughey, yes. I just, I feel like, I don't know if it's just me, I feel like there was a lot of stuff that was just really forgettable like that. And then there was also obviously um, uh, the Fast and Furious film that he was in, uh, where he's like some fucking superhuman man. Which Oh my God, I, I completely like forgot he was in a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, I and I just think that... I completely forgot that. This is, I think there's a lot of stuff that he's done in sort of the latter half of this decade that is just, or middle half as well, but like, it's just really forgettable and a bit crap. So yeah. it's nice to see him because he is such a good actor. He was obviously, uh, you know, in The Wire and he was, uh, he did Luther, which I haven't seen too much of, but I liked. And it's just, yeah, it's just nice um, to see him in something what, I really enjoy again. Well, I like, what I like about him, he's very versatile as well. Because I mean, I've watched him in a movie, whether it was this year or last year, I'm not sure on actually when I watched it, but it's called Concrete Cowboy. Mm. Um, which is a very um, down-to-earth, grounded drama about uh, people who like ride horses and stuff in Detroit, and he plays like this absent father, and it's a very like very grounded performance. And then you watch him in something like this, where he's funny and you know, he carries the film. And it, yeah, it's it's nice to see that. Um, but no, he's I, got I think such range. I think he's got definitely, such range. definitely. Um, uh, yeah. he's been around for so long as well and even now I think he could just carry any film he wants to so it's really great I think great cast and I think James Gunn was such a good director to ha- to like make this movie um, I do think it does get caught up sometimes in like it's over violence not really justifying the violence as well I guess it's just kind of violent for the sake of being violent sometimes um, but yeah I, I think performances I enjoyed and it has loads of scenes that are really really funny in it yeah definitely i i agree i think this is the suicide squad film that we should have got in the first place and if it was the first one it probably would have been more successful but as i say, I, I don't as i say i don't think money is the only way you can judge the success of a film anymore at least at least the box office I'll tell you what before we I'll, I'll lean into the critique cliche we'll say that this is the suicide squad Yes, okay, it is the Suicide Squad. And actually, before we move on to take a hard right turn, I say I'm going to give this film a three. Would you, are you on three level or are you on a... Well, I did write the review for it and I gave it a three and I do stick by that. Yeah, I I think it's fair. I think it's, yeah, it's not, it's definitely not bad enough to be a two. No, no. Anyway, should we move on to... A really interesting film called Pig, which is directed by Michael Sonofsky. I think that's yes. how you say his name. Yeah. Um, this is his directorial debut. Um, mm-hmm. and it's starring Nick Cage. The one and only. Well. Yeah. Nick Cage. Not at his cagiest, which Not I... Not at his cagiest, no. There's been a lot of Nick Cage films over the past few years. I mean, he's had it through all out of his career where he will just do bizarre performances um in just the craziest films and obviously in the last few years i feel like there's become a cult following for that type of film so you know recently we have man was it mandy the one you did the review for about the 
Yeah, and it's actually a great film. That's the kind of movie you want Cage to be at his cagiest. Mm-hmm. Like it's important that he gets to that level. Absolutely, but this does the complete opposite. Where Cage, uh, he's not completely um, voiceless. He does quite a lot of speaking, but he's so stoic and he has such a um, like stone faced performance all the way through. And it's really, really interesting. So the sort of basic point of this one, the basic plot of this one, is he he's Rob and he's out in the wilderness, uh, disconnected from. Pretty much all what what you you know all the basic necessities electricity and plumbing and things like that, um, and he has this pig and they go truffle hunting and then this I don't actually know exactly what the guy is he's sort of um uh, a, he's a uh, um he's a he's a restaurant wholesaler there so you go he yeah, does, yeah yeah he, 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 he delivers sells the food to the restaurants and stuff like that yeah. Yeah, and, and that's Amir, who is played by Alex Wolf, who I think most people would know from Hereditary. He's the eldest son. Uh, I think his performance in that is great. This is very different, of course. Uh, I think he's really good in this, but I don't think the film's about him. This this film uh, relies on the performance from Nick Cage, I think, because um, you're with him pretty much all the way through. I think he's in almost every scene. I I think it is trying a lot of things that are super different uh a lot of the film had me guessing all the way through you know we don't want to go into too many plot spoilers but i think you it sets up what you think is going to happen and then just tries to veer away from that as hard as possible i think in so many instances like when it first began i was like is this going to become like a john wick but for pigs and then it didn't and then there was a part that i thought it was going to become like almost like fight club but then like in a john wick way and then it didn't and i was like i just i don't know where this film is going and i was really hooked i was really riveted i think when the film first was announced the film started to get a a lot of interest because it 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 was running on that thing of the idea of almost high concept that basically nick cage hunts down the people who stole his truffle pig uh that's uh and i think everyone expected that john wick uh, style of film that has come so often after John Wick. Uh, and actually, no, it's the complete opposite, like you said. Uh, and I, I really liked it. And it's, I was not expecting to watch such a tender drama. And look, it's not without its moments of caginess. <laughs> he, does, <laughs> he does slip into it a little bit. But there's such, there's so much that it wants to say um about this character's life and cage plays it so subdued so subtly uh he feels like a man who's lost everything uh and obviously the whole point is he's going back it's set in portland so it's kind of like a um hipster place (laughs) is portland um you know he goes back to face his past uh and also kind of you know he's running from uh the fact that his wife's died um, or his girlfriend. Oh, I think it's his wife. But yeah, I think I think Cage's performance is so important in this film. But I think yeah, like you said, it veers off in all these different directions, um, and it keeps you guessing. And it's a really, really good film. And I was a little bit hard on it actually when I first watched it, because there are some instances that, in terms of logic, the film didn't make sense to me. But mm. um, I think at its core, the movie is about how connect people or how you disconnect people and yeah i think the scene at the end in particular so um 
Amir has issues, obviously, with his father, who is also a restaurant wholesaler, but but is like big time, isn't he? He's, mm. he's very very successful, and he's kind of you know, well, he's an arsehole. But um, <laughs> you know, there's this amazing scene at the end, which is also really bizarre at the same time, where they all sit down for dinner together and stuff like that. Really, really unique film. Mm. Uh, and like I said, I feel bad because I was a bit harsh on it when I first watched it, but I know I did really like it. No, I agree, and and I think uh, I think it's a film that needs to sit with you for some time. I think um, well, the first time I watched it, I did really like it, and I really liked the ending. But there was things that I was like, ah, I as you say, logically they don't really make sense. But then after I finished it and after it sat with me, I was like, actually, I don't really think it matters. You know, um, this might sound hy- hypocritical because we've. Um, you know, we uh, we ragged on Corella for things like that, but I don't feel like Corella had anything at its core as strong as what Pig was trying to say. Definitely, Pig yeah. was trying to talk about. I don't think the logic of the story necessarily matters as much as uh, the character work that's going on. You know, um, and I yeah, I really liked it. It's quite slow, but I think it really pays off. Um, there's a lot of little moments of basically just food porn as well, which I think is really, oh. I think that's really fun. You know every meal looks great. There's not enough films that focus on food. Like mm-hmm. let's, I mean, you think of the pinnacles, I know this is veering off on a tangent, but you think of the pinnacles is chef and yeah. there's a movie from the nineties called uh, big night. They're the, like the American yeah. movies that stand out. And it was quite nice to watch just such like a, cause obviously the whole the point of the movie is like, he has such a connection to the food world as well, doesn't he? Obviously, mm-hmm. you, you do find out his backstory a bit. I won't spoil it, but um, yeah, like I said, the bit where they eat dinner, the scene before that, where they very delicately, almost like poetically, make this meal, is just oh my god! It just it highlights <laughs> the importance of all of that, and this is yeah, what it I does sort of mean that the narrative doesn't like how they got there doesn't quite matter as much as what they're doing in that moment. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Now, I, I think there's also, you know, I think you you mentioned it as well that there was a lot of talk about one scene in particular where there's someone from uh, in sort of Rob's uh, history who they sat down and they're in that guy's restaurant and they're talking to him, and I think we've both in agreement that the performance that guy gives is really strange yeah. and it just and it, it it's probably my I wouldn't say it's necessarily my biggest criticism but it's the point where I felt the most disconnected it just didn't feel like a real conversation not necessarily script wise the script was odd but a lot of the film is odd and a lot of the conversations are odd and that's fine that felt you know coherent with the rest of the film but his performance is so strange it's like it felt like to me like he was under duress while acting like someone was off camera pointing a gun at like his kid (laughs) and being like you have to do this otherwise i'm going to shoot your kid or something like that i just thought that that was and i remember watching the scene and i couldn't focus on the scene because i was like what is this guy doing yeah it was Uh, (laughs) a strange performance i'm sure there is logic behind it but yes for me i couldn't and the other one for me I mean, this is... A, I will try not to spoil it because this is a big spoiler moment. Is that uh, it's the scene when Nicolas Cage starts to find out information about this pig mm. uh, and then someone says to him, you know, get out, get out of my house, you, you know, buy buy yourself a new pig or whatever, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And while... Because I, I don't want to spoil it. I can't explain exactly why it grated, uh, grated on me. But it kind of... 
to me at first it diminished the entire logic of um the pig getting kidnapped yeah which is the whole reason for the entire film um but like you said i really really loved the character stuff so yeah. i almost the more i thought about it the more i thought it doesn't matter that much cuz what you're learning is about this character and how he's left he's left this world behind and he's you know he's got some demons that he has to face and also he's still dealing with this grief and you know and i thought amir's arc was really fantastic as well definitely um, but i think i think it's a really subtle part of the film i think the film it could very very easily just be nick cage being rob and it's rob's story and everything's about rob and like obviously everything's centered around rob but i think there's lots of like nice little moments even that conversation that i was talking about in the restaurant the resolution of that i thought was so interesting and i thought this is so unique i haven't seen anything like this in a while even though the parts of the execution I found distracting. I thought what it was doing was so interesting. I think that's just, for me, that's just the best way to describe much of the film. It's just that it's a really interesting film. Definitely. Um, but yeah, so what did you, we haven't done the review for this, I don't believe, but what, what are you going to give it? So when I first watched it, in my head it was a three, but I think now it's been bumped up to a four because mm-hmm. if I compare the last two films we've just talked about, that would mean that in my head they are relatively similar in how much like they affected me and how good I think they are. Whereas I think Pig is miles better than Suicide Squad. And I'm I think about that movie a hell of a lot more than I do Suicide Squad. So by that definitely. logic for me it's it's a four. Um yeah. there is still issues I have with it, but there's definitely a four for me. Yeah, and I had exactly the same thing. When I initially watched it, I thought, I'm going to give this a three. And then it just sits with you and you think about what's important in the film and what's not. And I think, yeah, other stuff starts to fade away and you realise the bits that shine the most. Uh, and for me, it was a four too. I really, I came out really, really liking it. And I think it's a film that I want to revisit at some point because um, I think it'd be really interesting to rewatch. Um and see how the story unfolds when you know where it's going. Yeah, I think definitely. That's quite interesting. Yeah, I think that's but... it. When you first watch it, it's kind of, it's so, it's almost like offbeat, but in a really strange way, not like offbeat comedy way. It's, you know, it takes some very weird directions tonally, but it, in the end, it does work. So mm. I think once when you first watch it, it does throw you off. But I think if you revisit it, the chances are once you know, you know, the tone of the film. I think it it could make the film a lot better. So yeah, I'd be excited to watch it again. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so those are the main sort of big things we're covering uh, in this episode, but we've got other things we need to talk about as well. So why don't you go first? What else have you seen um, that I probably haven't seen or that you enjoyed and was worth noting? So um, I haven't really had a chance to go to the cinema, unfortunately. It's just a bit of a awkward thing for me to do where I am. But uh, I managed, you know, Netflix have released like they always do every week. They release new movies. I, the first, I will start negative because, you know, why not? Um, <laughs> uh, there's a new action movie called Sweet Girl, and it's starring Jason Momoa. And it's about a, a guy whose wife dies of cancer. Um, and he basically goes on a revenge trip to, um, basically take down this uh pharmaceutical company that stopped this treatment blah 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 and 
the issue it is is the movie just it can't really get going until about an hour in and even before it's managed to actually reach that point where it's getting going it does this it has this twist that is absolute shit <laughs> so yeah i mean it's uh, it's a shame like not i think i said in the review that basically a lot of hollywood stars have taken to these netflix action films easy paycheck i assume and to be honest this one is just going to die very slowly in the netflix catalog don't bother watching it uh, it's a shame as well because i really like jason momoa i think he's he's up there with um people like like Dwayne Johnson um for just like effortless charisma uh, like charisma on screen yeah definitely uh he's so fun to watch he's such an even when he's being serious i think he just brings uh a lot of life um to the characters it's a shame that he's in something so crap but yeah it's, i mean and the the um girl who plays his daughter as well she's popped up in a few things uh, i think she was uh Dora the Explorer in the new live action movie. Oh yeah. Um but she's really fantastic and she's a big part of the twist and it kind of just takes everything away from you know this story that they've built and it has a few sentimental moments at the beginning but other than that it's it's really not worth watching. That's a shame. That's a shame. Well, why don't I talk about something positive? Um I started watching the What If, which is the new yeah. series by uh disney that's on disney plus it's asking a bunch of questions uh you know what the what if happens uh in the marvel cinematic universe asking you know what if for example um agent carter is the first one what if agent carter became captain america and then yeah, there's yeah. sort of 20 minute half an hour episodes following along that um i think it's worth noting because i think it's interesting if you've watched the marvel cinematic universe you'll like it if you aren't into the Marvel films, honestly, do not bother. I've watched every Marvel film, but I still don't understand a large portion of, like, at least a third of the references that are going on. Because either I've forgotten the references from the films, or it's a reference from a TV show. And I think that drags it down a bit, but outside of that, it's super interesting. I think it's a really interesting thing to watch. There's, like, my favourite episode is... Um, the one about Doctor Strange. It's quite bleak, uh, but I think that's why it's interesting, especially after the the Agent Carter one's a bit bland. Uh, and then, you know, there's there's an okay episode in between, but I think the, the Doctor Strange one has just shown that they're now not afraid to um, do some shit that is bleak. It's like, you know, when you watch Infinity War and Endgame, it gets really heavy. I know a lot of what happens in Infinity War is reversed. What happens in this episode of Doctor Strange, sure, it's confined in its own thing. It's non-canon. It doesn't affect the rest of the story. Yeah. But after you finish it, you're like, oh, well, that's that's not a cheery ending at all. No. Um, it's really good, though. And I mean, I'm, that's not a spoiler, by the way, because the uh, basically it, it's um, the idea is that there's this being called the Watcher, which is voiced by... Jeffrey Wright, is it? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. It's yeah. voiced by Jeffrey Wright. And he introduces you and basically just asks you the question, what if? And then as almost like a narrator sets up the episode for you. I know a bit about what if. I think it is based on a string of comics called what if. No? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it know, and it, they are it's very much for fanboys. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't make something like that 
because uh, I mean the hot the whole comic book culture is surrounded by conversations of like what if so and so fought so and so blah 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 that's the questions they want answered and I think it's a good idea. Um, I haven't actually watched any of it yet, and also I miss Jeffrey Wright. I miss him. He's a yeah. fantastic actor, and I want him to be in more. I know he's he still acts. You know, he's in a lot of TV, and uh, um, he's popped up in a few films, and he's in the new Bond again. Uh, yes, and then there's Felix, which is nice. Um, but yeah, I think I'll get around to it. Um, I'm a Marvel fan. I'm a comic book fan, so yeah, I'd like to watch it. I think it's worth it. I I don't think you'll get your Jeffrey Wright fix because he doesn't do a whole lot other than basically. No, I need to see his beautiful beard. I can't. Yes, you don't uh, see that at all. Yeah, see, I need that. um, But yeah, what else have you watched recently then? Uh, Again, another Netflix film. Uh, We'll go a little more positive now. Um, Actually released only uh, maybe a few days ago, a week ago, called Worth, and uh, you know, uh, which is about. the real life group of lawyers who were tasked with creating the uh, 9/11 survivor trust in which they were able to give money to uh, all the people that suffered from losing someone or were injured from the tr- uh, 9/11 um, but basically it starts out that these are lawyers who the goal is to stop the airlines from being sued and this is why it started and the whole thing is basically about one man's morality, which is Michael Keaton. He plays the the main character. Um, tonally, it's a bit like Spotlight. Um, not nearly as good, but um, certainly has some uh, great performances in there. And I think once it focuses in on this one character, which is played by Michael Keaton, it really um, is a great tale of morality. I think... It'll easily be forgotten, but um, especially when the comparison is as high as something like Spotlight. Maybe that's because Michael Keaton's in it and uh, Stanley Tucci is a supporting role. Maybe that's why my mind went to Spotlight. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting drama. I don't think you you get bored at all. I think it keeps you on your feet. But yeah, I think it's not without its issues, unfortunately. Um, But what about you? Have you watched anything else? Yeah, uh, I've got another TV thing. Um, I've been watching the most recent season of the season of The Walking Dead, which is season eleven. It's the final God, season. Eleven seasons of it. Is yeah. Fucking hell. Well, do you know what's interesting about The Walking Dead? It's it's, it's on Disney Plus now, and they're releasing it weekly on Disney Plus, which right. is pretty much the only reason I'm able to keep up with it. I draw. I watched it, and I really liked it, at least for the first few seasons, up until about season six or seven, and then it got really repetitive and it got really slow, and I I fell off the map. And then it came on Disney Plus, and I thought, hey, I'll, I'll watch it again and see whatever. And there's a chunk in the middle seasons where it just drags, and then uh, a lot of stuff happens. Negan gets introduced, which I think is probably the best thing about the show, all the way through. Jeffrey Dean Morgan is just just so good in that role he's so unlikable yeah um i think he's fantastic in it um i don't want to give too many plot spoilers because there's uh, new characters old characters didn't come back and stuff like that there's loads of stuff that's happened in this one i think it's interesting to say the least um it's just more than anything i think they're trying some new stuff narratively and some of it's working. I think it was episode three that focuses on Maggie and Negan. And 
That one, I just thought there wasn't really any plot whatsoever, and it tried to just focus on the characters, and it didn't really work. They've got a new look to it as well. Like, visually, it's a bit different. They're trying a lot of... uh, Like, there's a lot of bizarre Dutch angles, and then lots of, like, extreme fisheye moments as well that are just so out of place. Um, I think there's just lots of moments of disjointed filmmaking. Um like like the fisheye for example like this is something i couldn't help but notice but the the color grading is different for the fisheye shots than the normal shots so it's just really jarring it just feels bizarre and out of place um but i think it's i think it's interesting it's different they're trying a lot of new stuff as i say I, I rambled a little bit there. What uh, have you got? Anything else you want to cover before we wrap up? Yeah, one more. Let's end it on a positive, shall we? Because um, so we, I mean, we mentioned we mentioned it. We've said so many times. I think in just this podcast, we've mentioned John Wick, John Wick esque action, mm. kind of very gritty, but also unafraid to like have a play around with it uh, and very inventive. And there's a movie on Netflix because that's apparently where all I watch all my new movies now <laughs> uh, called Kate. And it's starring Elizabeth Winstead, uh, who, in my opinion, got this film because she's fantastic in Birds of Prey. Uh, she plays a very similar, like very subdued, no-nonsense character. Uh, and she plays Kate, um, who is a hitman or hit woman, hit person, <laughs> um, who is uh, just before she's about to like do her last hit, she kind of misses uh, and she realizes that she's been poisoned. And then she has about an hour, a day and a half to basically take down everyone and to learn who poisoned her, basically. Pretty simple plot. It's set in Tokyo. It's got very like neon Tokyo, which is very great to see. Uh, action's fantastic. There is a moment that is a weird mix of Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift and that's one scene in the first cars where all the cars are illuminated. <laughs> There's a weird moment of that, but I think for the most part it's got quite a nice um it it feels very generic but at the same time I think it's very entertaining and I have the only issue I have is that the ending's predictable but in a film like this the film can only really go one of two ways and it both are predictable. So I I hold it. I hold that against it a tiny bit, but I think it's got some fantastic action in it. So, and Elizabeth Winstead is absolutely fantastic, and it's got a great uh, cast of Japanese actors as well. Um, some familiar faces there, uh, Woody Harrelson as well. Um, so yeah, it's got a great cast, great action, and it's definitely perfect for a Netflix original because it's the kind of Friday night movie you could put on and you could have such a good time watching. Awesome. I sound like I'm definitely gonna have to check that. I saw the um the images for it, but I didn't I didn't think much of it. But with a review like that, I think it's definitely gonna be worth checking out. Best film I've ever <laughs> watched. <laughs> Coming up, hopefully, is uh Respect, the Aretha Franklin um biopic starring Jennifer Hudson and uh, the new Candyman, uh, directed by Nia da Costa, written by Nia da Costa and Jordan Peele. And hopefully we'll have a few more for you. Yeah, so I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the review show presented by Real. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Philson Wilson. You can find me on Twitter. I am Cospjord. 
And then you can find all of our reviews and lists and articles at realreviewing.com. You can find the podcast on all your usual podcast platforms, um, you know, Google Play and Apple Podcasts and all that sort of stuff. But if you go to anchor.fm slash realfilmpodcast, uh, you'll find all of the locations for it there. So I hope you hope to see you next time.